0: Tradcast Express Tradcast Express It's Monday, October 30th, 2023. Scott Hahn is a famous convert to the Vatican II religion from Presbyterianism. He converted back in 1986 and has long been a professor of theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and of course a prolific author for popular books on theology and apologetics. Although he may appear orthodox compared to Pope Francis, he is at best a dyed-in-the-wool conservative novus ordo in the mold of John Paul II. He is also a raving charismatic ecumenist and has publicly put forward the blasphemy that the Holy Trinity is a family, And since a family does not only have a father and a son, but also a mother, you can probably guess which of the three divine persons is feminine, motherly, and bridal for Han. And what impact that has on the teaching that the Holy Ghost is the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, well, we don't need to go there, because our topic now is a different one. Hahn just appeared on the YouTube show Pints with Aquinas with Matt Fradd, who is a Novos Ordo apologist from Australia. The episode premiered on October 24th under the title Catholics in Exile, and a five-minute excerpt of that was made into a separate video entitled Christ is Head of the Church with Dr. Scott Hahn, released on October 27th. Han was asked to respond to a viewer's question about how to deal with that Jesuit from Buenos Aires, the so-called Pope Francis, Jorge Bergoglio, considering that it is evident now that he is changing doctrine, that he's teaching things at variance with the Catholic faith. Let's listen to the response Hahn gives.
1: You know, for 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has gotten by with, what, 265 popes. And some, like Benedict the IX, have just been rank scoundrels, I mean perverts, and most of them have been good, some great, some holy, but only a few saints. Um, and we're not in a personality cult because the Pope is not the head of the church. He's the vicar of Christ, and he alone is the head.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's stop right here for a moment. Scott Hahn just said, in all seriousness, that the Pope is not the head of the church, that our blessed Lord Jesus alone is the head of the church. Really now? Do, do they not teach the first Vatican Council at Franciscan University in Steubenville? Only Vatican II, huh? Well, here's what Vatican I says back in 1870. Quote, If anyone then says that the blessed Apostle Peter was not established by the Lord Jesus Christ as the chief of all the apostles and the visible head of of the whole militant church, or that the same received great honor, but did not receive from the same our Lord Jesus Christ directly and immediately the primacy in true and proper jurisdiction, let him be anathema, unquote. That's from the Dogmatic Constitution, Pastor Eternus, chapter 1, found in Denzinger, number 1823. Let's choose another example. In chapter 3 of the same document, Vatican I quotes the Council of Florence as follows, quote, The pontiff of Rome himself is the successor of the blessed Peter, the chief of the apostles, and is the true vicar of Christ and head of the whole church and faith and teacher of all Christians, unquote. That's found in Denzinger, 1826. Now, let's fast forward to 1943. Pope Pius XII writes in Mystici Corporis, his great encyclical on the Church as the mystical body of Christ, quote, Since he, Christ, was all-wise, he could not leave the body of the Church he had founded as a human society without a visible head. Nor against this may one argue that the primacy of jurisdiction established in the church gives such a mystical body two heads. For Peter, in virtue of his primacy, is only Christ's vicar, so that there is only one chief head of this body, namely Christ, who never ceases himself to guide the church invisible, though at the same time he rules it visibly through him who is his representative on earth. After his glorious ascension into heaven, this church rested not on him alone, but on Peter too, its visible foundation stone. That Christ and his vicar constitute one only head is the solemn teaching of our predecessor of immortal memory, Boniface VIII, in the apostolic letter Unam Sanctam, and his successors have never ceased to repeat the same. Unquote. Again, that is Pius XII Encyclical Mystici Corporis, number 40. And honestly, I could give you endless quotes on this, but we can just stop here. The bottom line is that the Pope is so linked with Christ that together they make up only one single head. And that's why you sometimes hear the Pope being referred to as the head of the Church and sometimes Christ. Now, because of this intimate union of our Lord Jesus Christ with his vicar, it is clear that we can never pit the Pope against Christ, nor Christ against the Pope. And of course, by that I mean the Pope in his official acts, not the Pope as a private person who is obviously a sinner and can be in mortal sin even, and can even go to hell. God forbid. So, Han is wrong to say that Christ alone is the head of the Church and the Pope is not the head of the Church. And it's very important to understand that this is not just semantics. This is a matter of real theological difference. Because if the Pope is not the head of the visible Church on earth, then he cannot function as the head and have all members of the body under his direction and preeminence. Otherwise, each diocese could just say to Rome, well, you know what, it's nice you've got the Pope there and all, but that's really just a ceremonial thing and we're done with you. We're just going to submit to Christ instead of you because he's the true head of the church anyway. That's impossible in the Catholic Church. In fact, that's heresy against Vatican I. You can find that in Denzinger, number 1831, if you want to look it up. See Christ established the papacy and made the pope his vicar precisely so that while he is in heaven until a second coming there would be a visible representative of him to govern and teach with his authority one who alone would have the ultimate power of binding and loosing on earth and in heaven The whole idea the whole point of the papacy is to be able to cling to Christ in a way that is objective and visible and ratified by our Lord himself. It is the visible way of knowing for sure that you are in the true church and have the true doctrine, the true sacraments, and salutary disciplinary law. And so it's by being subject to the Pope that you can be sure you are subject to Christ. That is the point. And that is why it's so important to understand that Francis is not a true Pope and could not possibly be one. In Mystici Corporis, Pope Pius XII says, They therefore walk in the path of dangerous error who believe that they can accept Christ as the head of the church while not adhering loyally to his vicar on earth. They have taken away the visible head broken the visible bonds of unity, and left the mystical body of the Redeemer so obscured and so maimed that those who are seeking the haven of eternal salvation can neither see it nor find it. That's paragraph number 41. Now, this is a very significant passage there. Notice two things. First, Pius XII condemns those who have taken away the visible head. I think he's talking about Protestants there, or maybe Eastern Orthodox. But it's also applicable to Scott Hahn because he just said that the Pope is not the head of the Church. So Hahn is taking away the visible head, in principle, we might add, just like Protestants. And no, that has nothing to do with right? Some people will say, that's a condemnation of Sedevacantism. No, it's not. We don't take away the Pope in principle at all. We believe in the papacy. Right? We believe the Pope is the visible head of the church. We believe he is the principle of unity in the church and the true vicar of Christ who governs, teaches, and sanctifies in Christ's stead and with his authority, such that what he binds and looses on earth is bound and loosed in heaven. It's just that, given the evidence, we believe we don't at present have a pope, that no man currently fills that office. So, we're not saying that the Catholic Church has no pope in the sense of not having the institution of the papacy, that, that uh, the Church has no papal office. We're saying that Jorge Bergoglio isn't the one who fills that office. And there hasn't been anyone to fill it legitimately, validly, as far as we know, since the death of Pope Pius XII in 1958. And the reason why, one of the reasons why, is evident from the second point Pius XII makes in that quote from Mr. G. namely that if you take away the Pope, the papacy, then those who are seeking the haven of eternal salvation can neither see it nor find it. Meaning that the whole point about having a visible head of the church, the the point of having a pope, a papacy, is to be able to cling to him and follow him as the safe haven, the sure guide to eternal salvation. Now, who in his right mind could possibly say that Jorge Bergoglio, Pope Francis, is a sure guide to eternal salvation. And I'm not talking about his personal sins, right? We're all sinners. I'm talking about his official magisterium, the official acts of his supposed pontificate, who in his right mind could say that by clinging to the magisterium of Francis, one is assured of clinging to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just insane. So, in a nutshell... If Francis is the Pope, then his teachings are safe to follow. If, on the other hand, his teachings are dangerous nonsense, then he cannot be the Pope. And notice this has nothing to do with infallibility, per se. Okay, We're not even addressing that topic. But in order for traditional Catholic doctrine on the papacy to have any meaning, it must be the one or the other. Either he is Pope and then you can safely follow what he teaches, or you cannot safely follow what he teaches, and therefore he cannot be the Pope. What you cannot do, what you cannot have, is precisely what the semi-trads, and that's why we call them that, by the way, semi-trads, is what they keep offering you. And that is verbally acknowledge Francis as Pope, but don't even think about following him because his doctrine is false and a danger to your soul. All right, let's go back to the audio with Scott Hahn and listen to some more of what this celebrity professor had to say on the Pints with Aquinas show with Matt Frad.
1: If the Catholic Church has expanded and flourished in all kinds of places for centuries where they didn't even know for sure the name of the Pope, because he might have died last year and you haven't heard yet who the new one is. You pray for the Holy Father, you love the Holy Father, and then you pray some more for the Holy Father, but as though you've got to keep up with every daily release from the Vatican, I think it's unhealthy. Yeah, it is. I think it lends itself either to a personality cult or ecclesiastical gossip Mm -hmm. and a kind of critical spirit that will invariably lead to divisions within the church. We love Pope Francis. We don't have to read every single word that he publishes. We want to pray for him so that he is teaching with clarity, and when he, de- when he doesn't seem to be, we want to pray for him a little bit more and try to find the good, you know. My goodness, what a poor answer. So,
0: apparently, Scott Hahn's suggestion on how to deal with Francis is, well, don't pay so much attention to him. Pray, and just focus on what he gets right. Well, excuse me, but one could say the same thing about the Anglican Archbishop of Canterbury. Right? Or the Dalai Lama. The advice Han just gave does absolutely nothing to resolve the actual problem posed by the Bergolian Magisterium. Look, prayer is a good thing, but the problem with Francis is not a lack of prayer for him. I think there is not a single person in the world who gets more prayers every day than Francis. Close your eyes and pray is not a theological answer, okay? You're just asking people to please ignore the problem and spend time doing other things. So, Hans says you don't have to keep up with everything the Pope does or publishes every single day. All right, fine. But that's beside the point. The problem isn't that people are paying too much attention to Francis. The problem is what Francis is teaching and legislating in his official magisterium, regardless of whether anybody is paying attention to it or not. I mean, come on. And by the way, as far as papal personality cult goes, I may not be remembering this right, but I thought that Scott Hahn and this whole Steubenville EWTN world contributed a lot to the personality cult of John Paul II. Okay, that just as an aside. Also, Hahn seems to be thinking that the problem with Francis is just a lack of clarity, and that if only he were clearer, all would be well, so let's just pray for Francis to teach more clearly. Now that, too, is a misrepresentation of the real problem. Sure, lack of clarity is one of the problems, but we're way beyond that now. Let's listen to some more from
1: Professor Hahn. It's always the Philippians 4, 8 principle. That is, if there's anything true, mm-hmm. anything good, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think on these things. So when Amoris Laetitia comes out, all we think about is chapter 8 and that controversial footnote. Mm. That is still problematic in my interpretive matrix, but you read the first seven chapters, he quotes Pius the Casticanubi more than John Paul ever did. That was one of our favorite documents when we were becoming Catholic. There is so much good stuff in Amoris Laetitiae. Okay, there is that flashpoint. Let the experts adjudicate that over time and all of the rest.
0: Well, wait
1: a minute. Uh, Isn't he supposed to be one of those
0: experts? In any case, let me address this argument that we should just find the good and focus on that. The reason why that is baloney is that an essential defect ruins the whole thing. Let me illustrate that with a very simple analogy. When you go to buy a car, and later you find out that the vehicle they sold you has a defective engine and a transmission that only lets you get into second gear, you don't want to hear from the dealership that, well, but it's got leather seats and a cool spoiler and look at those rims, right? Right? That's the problem with that, but what about the good things, argument. A single heresy, a single pernicious error in a papal document would cripple the papacy and prove it false. For Scott Hahn to argue that, oh well, but there's, you know, 77% of the encyclical is really great, that is a really, really bad argument you would never want to fly in an airplane that's only 77% intact. And yet, doctrine, matters of faith, matters of salvation, are much more serious than flying in an airplane. Let's remember what Pope Leo XIII wrote in his 1896 encyclical Satis Cognitum, paragraph 9. Quote, There can be nothing more dangerous than those heretics who admit nearly the whole cycle of doctrine, and yet by one word, as with a drop of poison, infect the real and simple faith taught by our Lord and handed down by apostolic tradition. Unquote. And let's also not forget the words of Pope Clement XIII in his encyclical In Dominico Agro, issued in 1761. And this is from paragraph 2. Quote, Meanwhile, the matter is such that diabolical error, when it has artfully colored its lies, easily clothes itself in the likeness of truth, while very brief additions or changes corrupt the meaning of expressions, and confession, which usually works salvation, sometimes with a slight change, inches toward death. And Scott Hahn says, Eh, just... Focus on the good stuff. Unbelievable. Oh, and then, of course, there's Pope St. Pius X. In his great encyclical against modernism, Pascendi Dominici Gregis, in paragraph 3, he calls the modernists the most pernicious of all the adversaries of the Church. And later on, in paragraph 18, he says about them, quote, in their books, one finds some things which might well be approved by a Catholic. But on turning over the page, one is confronted by other things which might well have been dictated by a rationalist, unquote. Pius X is warning us that the modernists don't only write heresy. There is a lot of truth in their writings, too. But that makes them all the more dangerous, St. Pius X did not say, hey, look, the modernists aren't all bad. Just focus on the good stuff. Okay, one last clip from the Steubenville professor.
1: But I think we just live in terms of the news cycle. Mm. And we live in terms of the election cycle. And we've got to break out of this kind of straightjacket and think as Catholics, live from an eternal perspective, think in terms of the generations, and Build houses, you know, and avoid cable news, Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least more than you have been. That's good advice. Yeah, really good advice there.
0: Turn off the news. Just don't listen to it. Shut up and pray. Folks, if you have to tune out the Pope in order not to become a heretic, what does that tell you? See, that conundrum is precisely what the questioner wanted an answer to. And Hahn really didn't answer anything. Sure, he said a lot, but he really failed to give a substantial response. And you know what? There is no response. For as long as Francis is accepted as a true Pope, the only consistent response would be Catholicism is false. But we know Catholicism is true, and therefore it is Francis who must be false. And... Okay, it's fine to point out that just saying that Francis isn't the Pope or that we haven't had a Pope since Pius Twelfth, that that by itself isn't sufficient, okay? That it raises all kinds of other issues, etc. All right, that's fine. But the fact still remains that Francis is not the Pope. And unless we first acknowledge that, with all the difficulties that may entail... We will never be able to make sense of what we're seeing coming from Rome, and will never arrive at the truth of the matter. We cannot reject a clearly evident conclusion simply because we don't want to deal with the repercussions of it. It won't work, and it's not honest. In any case, it's pretty clear now, I think, that the Novus Ordo apologists are at their wit's end, with regard to Francis. They're essentially telling you to distract yourself with other things. Just don't look at it, right? Hey, look over here, a traditional prayer book. Or, oh my gosh, check out this Catholic artwork. Well, that's all well and good, but it misses the point. The point is that whether we pay attention to it or not, the supposed pope is teaching all kinds of heresies and other errors and this leading souls to destruction. And we're not talking about private moral failings here, like a pope who has a mistress or who's a sodomite. Okay, We're talking about the official magisterium, doctrine, catechism, liturgy, sacraments, canonized saints, and disciplinary laws. And that's not something you can just wipe away with comments like, Hey, hundreds of years ago, the average Catholic didn't even know who the Pope was or what he was teaching. So what? The point is, you do know. You do know the man whom you're accepting as Pope and what his official acts are. And you cannot plead a kind of ignorance by proxy on the grounds that peasants a thousand years ago wouldn't have known what you today do know. Please everyone, don't let the apostate Jesuit from Buenos Aires make you doubt the truth of the timeless Roman Catholic religion. Not Catholicism is the fraud. Francis is. Tratcast Express is a production of Novus Ordo Watch. Check us out at Tratcast.org, and if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax deductible contribution at novusordowatch.org slash donate. <smart> oh. <noise>